But you know how we do. I jump in it. Jump in it. We jump in it. Just jump right in it. Oh, did you see? Um, are we recording? We are recording. Okay, that's cool. But did, uh, I'm gonna. I told you to record and already. Gonna mess up your editing by going on a soundtrack. Uh, soundtrack sidetrack. Did you see Danny Brown's uh, new video? I have not seen Danny Brown's new video. Oh, it's 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 great. It's um, Should we for ain't it funny? Okay. <laughs> and I, I guess you know what? I guess you're on a good idea there right now that i guess after we're done this we can watch it uh, i think we should put together our reviews of this 60 minute segment followed by a review of danny brown's new video yeah. just to show our versatility as <laughs> you know there's actually some tie-ins there i think um the video is about mental illness and people laughing about it and being entertained by it instead mm-hmm. of actually addressing the issue that that's that, interesting that's at, at heart so yeah it's more of a focusing on uh you know the the symptoms of a thing than focusing on its actual causation which is imagine know, that what we're rooted in constantly here so on april 1st thinking it might have been a april fool's joke or something the cruelest one ever 60 minutes put out a tweet where they said that they were releasing an interview on april the 2nd that the police officer who killed an unarmed black man is facing trial. But first, she'll tell her story on 60 Minutes Sunday. And immediately, my response, which other people did recognize as well, is that we have someone's child Mm. being murdered on camera for a trial that has not taken place yet. And we're going to give the suspected killer... Mm. We're not like all right, not a suspected killer. We have videotape. The killer. We're the going killer. to give the killer, who was accused of doing it negligently, the air to go ahead and taint the jury pool, to taint the public opinion, and have a platform of which to make all the excuses possible for murder. And that was just like if this doesn't conceptualize or, or at least exemplify this this paradigm that we talk about in our society where if you're white and you do something then mm. every benefit of the doubt possible is given to you and then if you're a cop every benefit of the doubt is possible is given to you and this is the exemplification of it where i'm sure that they're going to go in there and say that they did these for the right reasons that there was no other choice that there was no racism involved here but yet you there's just no way you cannot put this as an example of everything that's absolutely wrong with race and policing in this country so right before we jump into this explain a little bit about the case that we're talking about so this case is the killing of Terrence uh, Crutcher and i don't want to get into too many of the details i don't know the the all the nuances of the case so what we decided to do i wasn't going to watch the 60 minute special i thought that was like not to give them any attention and i really wanted to the public to push enough that they would cancel the show and not air it i i, I think this is immoral from its surface so i'm saying this and we're going to watch it live and see if i change my mind while i watch it but I, I can't imagine that we will as we go ahead here and start to watch it live and if you know the audience should go along with us if they want to and pull up the 60 minutes special which is titled shots fired shots and it's fired. Uh, hosted by peter peter marino Peter Marino. Is that his name? I assume Dan Marino's yeah. cousin. And of course, they have a black man. Of course. I mean, that's... I mean, it's all the stereotypes 
put together yeah. in one while they're going to say that these stereotypes and these issues do not exist why they exemplify them yeah i mean the the most striking thing is the the splash screen for the video is this black journalist speaking to this white woman who you know is the police officer uh and it already sort of feels like an attempt at justification i'm really going to be surprised by what or maybe we're not going to be surprised. I, I, I'm just, I just, I can't get over, like, they're, they're already saying in the media about how unbelievable this is, how unique it is. Look at this first look. This is the, you know, accused killer cop is going to get their voice heard on TV. Tune in now. Well, yeah, this, this doesn't happen because it's immoral and it's corrupting the jury pool on purpose. I mean, what did you think of the the sort of uh, parade of statements and accusations that came out of the police department, some from unnamed sources uh, in the aftermath of what happened with Freddie Gray here in Baltimore. I mean, there was very quickly, especially there was a, a reporter for the Washington Post who used to work for The Sun, who was putting out some inflammatory stories from unnamed police sources you know he was the one who initially put out the story about you know uh freddie supposedly injuring himself in the back of the van um and, and these claims of this nature uh, a lot of them came out of this and there was this sort of uh trickle of statements unnamed sources in the police department or statements from the fop that essentially seemed to try to do the same thing shape the narrative before we could even complete an initial investigation and determine whether there were charges I don't know if there's been a bigger case than the one with Freddie Gray's being killed because my immediate thought there was that the knee was dropped on the back of Freddie Gray's neck, causing his injury at the point of arrest. Well, the entire narrative of the truck mm. being the, the, the point uh, of incident there doesn't line up with the evidence of the case, but it all came from this entire narrative that was brought out in media. This isn't a narrative that's an investigatory conclusion other than the ME, but the ME had already been tainted by the idea that was he was ask. in the back yeah. of the truck. And this is what we're going to have. Are we going to have that here where we're already tainted by what the officer says? So, I mean, I don't know. I guess we just have to yeah, go in let's find out. and watch this and see, and see what happens with it. Um, all right. We're, we're at the 24-second mark about to hit play. For anyone me, who wants I should to go all the way along. back. I should be more proper. We'll go all the way to the okay, zero mark. We're, we're going to go to yeah, the zero mark. We'll probably have to cut this up, won't we? Maybe. It's going to be 43 minutes. We can't watch for Oh, yeah, minutes. that's that's long. Yeah. So well, we can watch the first 20 minutes. <laughs> we'll, we'll cut it up. I don't know. How about we just argue about it? That's that's we okay. can do that too. <laughs> All right. So uh, All right. <laughs> we first didn't statement. get 18 with <laughs> Okay, so so we press pause at 41 seconds because we already have the claim in probably what is a pre preview. She's not even going to get there yet, but it already has to be st stopped saying there are things that I agree with her and disagree with her on that she's saying this incident has no racism involved. She said race was not a factor in this incident. Which is clearly, I can already tell, not the case. Her defense was that she went deaf or that she had partial hearing paralysis at the moment which i guess she'll get into but the reason that she would have had that was because she was in such fear 
And if she was in such fear, well, we already know scientifically you're going to be in more fear of a black man. Mm. But the only reason she can possibly be panicking in this situation when we all watch this video for a man that's walking away to a vehicle that is secured, that th- there's... It has to be fear, and it has to be race playing a part in elevating that fear. But the thing is, is when she says she's not racist, we've discussed this before. It's I not the can point. believe that. Yeah, that it's, is, it's a moot point whether she's racist or not. It's whether these actions are, unless it's premeditated, and we're not. No one's going to, I hope, go to the point where this is a premeditated issue. But when she thinks that she says, well, I'm not racist. Yeah, you don't have to be racist to have all these things enter your mind to put you in a state of such fear that you go deaf. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to think that she didn't actually go deaf. I'm not willing to discount that because race is a factor. And she's so afraid of the big black man and the little white girl, which has been a trope of our society since black people have been in this country that 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 the black man was going to rape your little white daughter and do something to her. We still see that now. And it's an incredibly rare thing to occur, uh, period. Yeah. All right. So I guess we continue. I think we're watching the full episode, not yeah, just yeah, the yeah, segment. Yeah, 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 it is. But I, I don't want to miss this now. You're just going to have yeah, to cut that, this Yeah, now out. we're good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this is Peter Marino, isn't it? Not the guy that was hosting. Not the guy who was hosting. Yeah. Bill Whitaker, is that the uh, journalist? I guess so. No, we can't fast forward commercials. No. Damn commercials. Life in 2017. But, you know, this humanization, like the whole effort is this humanization of a killer that they would never do in the other way. Like, what is the story that humanizes um, the guy that that killed the officers, the the vet that killed the officers in Houston? No, that's right. Where where was... uh, That wasn't Houston, but where was that? Dallas. Dallas. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I mean, there's no question we wouldn't be watching this but for... The fact that the shooter in this instance was a cop. Not even a cop, a white one. I mean, because think about it, the shooter no, in Dallas is, is a true. vet with PTSD who ha- I'm sure has an empathetic story. But we're not going to hear that story because race isn't a factor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say that there's probably a, a qualitative difference between a mass shooting event and a single sort of on-the-job shooting incident like this in terms of how the media might treat an issue, uh, especially nowadays with, like, uh, once you can attach the terrorism label to something. Um, but there is still some sensitivity about around the whole mass shooting thing. But I was going to say, do we remember the Boston Bombers uh, sh- pictures on how uh, you know cute and nice they were? And then we had the pictures of uh, Clay Bowl. These are all terrorist acts at no, the same true. level yeah, and yeah even then with the race is clearly presented entirely different but they weren't necessarily given a platform like 60 minutes prior to yeah well i mean this is <laughs> madness <laughs> i mean i think what this is definitely most reflective of is exactly what you've said which is that uh this is a direct consequence of our sort of hagiography about police officers this is the host, and it wasn't the other guy that I said at the beginning, Lawrence Whitaker. I think it's who this is. Yes, Mr. Whitaker. So, I'm not sure about the first name. We got into this issue a little bit on a TYT episode 
when I'm talking about how they change the narrative, even the media, the way they code the words, really sets the tone for everything that's going on. And he's just saying right now that police issues have embattled this country since Ferguson. And that's wow. Yeah, I mean, we right. couldn't be more wrong. They've bothered this country since the the early 1800s, <laughs> and it's just. But when you say that, that's the line of, of of that fake news that we keep hearing about that that gives these Trump supporters or or the right wing credence against left wing positions because the left wing presenters of pre- positions are using the exact same type of stuff that's driving me crazy like this is it's clearly not the case that this has been embroiling since ferguson yeah but this is also where like the uh, the narrative of fake news which let's be honest gets used both by the far left and the far right totally. uh i think this is an instance where we have to be wary of not calling something fake because we consider it incomplete or because we don't feel like it validates our conclusion on the issue because i think once the requirement is that you essentially agree with me or you're not telling the truth then we're kind of putting ourselves in the position of ultimate adjudicator of what truth is and isn't and for any sort of finite human being limited by our experiences uh, as we are inevitably I, th- I do think that's dangerous. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge the way media is limited by that same finiteness. So it doesn't have to necessarily be fake news, but at the same time, we can't sort of look at media and say, you know, they're the experts or they, they have the whole story. They have the story based on who they've spoken to. And I suspect based on what we see in this segment, we will see why they crafted the structure of their narrative the way that they did based on which voices were most uh, featured. Yeah, and, and, and that, that makes sense to me. And when we talk about people being bigoted, uh, that's a difference of opinion. And so I, I think we really continue to confuse opinion arguments mm-hmm. with fact arguments. And so when I refuse to adapt to someone else's position, which happens often with yeah. me, it's because we're not dealing with an issue of opinion. Yeah. We are, we'll be dealing with issues of facts, and I have to be like, no, this isn't a thing for sides. There are no sides yeah. in factual issues. They are facts or non-facts. And so I can't hear your opinion on whether uh, police killing black men in this manner is disproportionate. Sure, yeah, we, exactly. It's not a question. We right. know it's disproportionate. <laughs> All right, so we're going to continue on. Yeah, he just mentioned that it's rare. We're not getting anywhere in this video. It's going to take an hour to watch it. But he just mentioned that it's rare. It's but, rare to have an officer featured. Yeah. Before the trial. <laughs> and again, why? We just addressed this. Because it's immoral. And I don't. what kind of culpability do they have for intentionally putting a story out into the public which hasn't been adjudicated? See, I'm going to challenge you on this. That's cool. Please. N- not because I don't uh, agree with your statement, but because I wonder whether we're thinking about the morality of the individual versus the morality of the media institution. But they're going to pay her, so it's the media institution <laughs> that I'm talking about. I'm not necessarily blaming her in this position. If you're the suspect on an upcoming trial and a national platform is willing to give you a voice that can craft the narrative, yeah. you're a fool if you don't take it. But I, but this is where I think we also have to acknowledge, and it's important for us who rely on institutions like 60 Minutes for Our Information, Yes, they are journalists and they are journalistic institutions. 
but they're ultimately structured as a business. And so part of what obviously motivates this is, is the potential ratings bonanza on a Sunday. And they are 60 Minutes is itself probably a subsidiary owned by a larger corporation. And so at the end of the day, uh, as much as their job is to do journalism, if they don't turn a profit or, or can't at least keep the operating costs going, you know, there is no 60 Minutes whatsoever. So the morality of media has to, I think, be, or, or our perception of the morality of what media is doing has to be filtered in, in terms of both of those understanding. You're sort of individual or personal morality, whatever that may be, and how you understand how that should inform the ethic of media, but also the awareness that media in, in cases like this are ultimately out to make a profit. I will give you that on the internet, but on our public airwaves, I don't know if I can but go we, there because we've already corrupted that system to allow the public airwaves to make a profit, but we are supposed to have the ultimate say so if you present yourself as a journalistic thing, then you should, we should have journalistic standards that you have to adhere to if you call yourself news. I agree. But that's, you see, what I don't think is that uh, you can enforce that by way of saying these are the rules for what is acceptable on the public airways. And, and I'll tell you why. And, and we can use the example of cursing. Right, uh, which is not allowed on, on public broadcasts, except for certain words, maybe after a certain time of, of of night, and you know that has liberalized in our lifetime. But essentially, the words that are banned come from a particular moral perspective of a particular community, mm-hmm. and it is fair to say that they are not the values and norms that come out of poor communities or poor communities of color, for example. And that's just a function of the history of who ends up in these jobs making determinations about what is and isn't acceptable. But what it does is it codifies a morality that we can locate in a particular place and it makes it a universal norm for all persons, regardless of whether or not they're speaking on the public airwaves. So I don't think we want to regulate based on our own morality what can be said in the public sphere. But I think where institutions like this can be held accountable is when the audience... Uh, demands that it behave in a different way. Because for a corporation, being criticized isn't necessarily a bad thing because you're still driving the uh, the conversation and so you're still getting attention. And that's what you want because you can't... That's free publicity, basically. But if you get boycotted, now you're in a different position. Now you have to uh, really pay attention to what your customers are saying because now it's affecting the bottom line. What when your audience would prefer to hear a narrative that's spun, though? I mean, and that's where we're at. Well, that's the other problem. Yeah, I mean, and that's. Uh, I mean, democracy that's the, doesn't but work. Again, the capitalism <laughs> doesn't work. No, but this is but this is where I think if we go back to what I was saying, where we don't necessarily insist that our personal morality be the measure of whether or not we agree with something. Uh, then we could possibly break down that tendency where we're only watching news or journalistic sources that essentially adhere to our personal values. Because I do think that that drives some of what uh, we see on television is that, you know, corporations pretty soon start creating media just for their audience. Uh, Yeah, of course. But that's also partly our fault because if if, if we're only willing to be an audience for people who agree with us, we also can't say corporations can't uh, create content that strictly adheres to the norms or values of their audience because we've put them in that position. Yeah, I, I don't have... I mean, this obviously this is a fight that's going to go on for forever and I don't have a strong 
generalized conclusion. But in this case, I feel like as a society and in the legal system, we have already determined that this is is, uh, persona non grata, so to say, that you don't go out before your trial and and influence it. I mean, 60 Minutes is empirically going to influence the perception of this case one way or another, which is guaranteed to be detrimental to either Mr. Crutcher's family or or the defendant here. Yeah, I mean, right, like this is the sort of thing that could backfire though, right, on, on the defendant. Sure, sure, totally. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's challenging. My thing is as being in media and, and particularly as being uh, someone who tries to create a product that maybe adheres to some of the values that you're expressing, I'd much rather people uh, say, you know, support these institutions, right? Because they're doing it the right way than say, like, let's all get mad about what 60 Minutes is doing. Because when you get mad at 60 Minutes, you're still making them money, right? Is my thing. It's like, as long as they're driving the conversation, they're in the driver's seat. They're happy. It doesn't matter if they're getting criticized or if they're getting praised because... Okay, well then stay with, stay up news. (laughs) And for things you want to watch, stay with uh, the Young Turks, TYT. Exactly, you know. <laughs> and I'll throw it, the TYT Network uh, slash join. All the ones that, you know, I mean, I, I just try to encourage people like it, it's fine to, I mean, we do have to be vocal about things we disagree with. There's no question. But we also have to, I think, think strategically about how we not simply reform media institutions that aren't doing what we think we should do. But how do we support media institutions that we say are? Yeah, I've totally. I mean, I, I agree with that completely. So I would, I think TYT is leading kind of on that on a national mm. stage. So I would encourage people to go that way. And we're going to continue the video because we're only two minutes and 24 <laughs> seconds in it, which should be incredibly predictable for the two of us that are supposed to have a mission of keeping our podcast under 20 minutes. I'm stopping this thing already and we're seconds into it because he just said that every officer would do the same is her position. Is her position. I'm telling you right now, I would not do that. I'm promising you 100%. I've been in situations way more hairy than this one, and I'd never thought of pulling the trigger in such a case. So let's let's see her explanation and then address that question. So we're watching the video right now. Would you follow behind that closely a suspect? Well, I wouldn't have my gun out, so I wouldn't. I mean... It's hard to say that I would be that close behind him because I don't see a th- there there's zero threat. So mm. like I, I I could certainly be walking next to him. You know, like nothing has happened. Yeah. When they are arriving at this scene, his hands are up and oh. he's walking away and then look how they're responding with lights and sirens. This is a broken down vehicle. Okay, I, I got to stop it there. Because yeah. there the interviewer says, it appears he has his hands in the air. Yeah, his hands appear. are fucking his, in, his the in the air. It's on video tape. We have an objective tape. record of his hands being in the air. And this is where, and see, this is where my uh, issue about the difference between fact and truth uh, and our inability to distinguish between those. Because when we can't distinguish between those, we have to say things like, it appears his hands are in the air. No, no, no. It's a, it, it's a fact that his hands were in the air. It's not a question of truth, in which case you might have to say something like, it appears, right? Because if truth is perspectival, then there might be differences of perspective that, that play a role in how we determine that. But here we have a video. His hands are in the air. We have an objective document that is a fact. It happens to be that his hands were in the air. That doesn't mean necessarily that she wasn't, shouldn't have shot him or anything else, but as a fact, 
simple, straightforward. He had his hands in the air. Whether you think that uh, provides you with some guiding principle or not, that's an issue of truth. But the simple fact is that his hands were in the air, and that should not be something that we sort of uh, dispute by the way we structure our statement about it. Yeah, I'm kind of going back right now. Okay, so see this exchange. This is the happened right when it happened. This is me and Sean King talking okay. on um, direct messaging on Twitter, going over this video. And when this video is released, his first comment was like, "They're trying to say that this window was was open." Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, like, we started watching the video, and it's. I mean, you can immediately tell in this video. I must have watched this video a hundred times from every angle. The window is not open. There's never an angle that even gives you the slightest indication that it could be open. And the helicopter circles around. He never makes a move towards the reach into the car like she she had claimed. He's walking away the entire time. His hands do not appear to be up. They are clearly up with the window clearly up. There is no threat here whatsoever there is a negative threat he was walking away so if she wouldn't have pursued he's becoming a less and less of a threat as time passes on again the police continue the escalation as we have seen a thousand times and there's no there's just no way that there can be any misperceptions about how that vehicle and and mr crutcher were positioned so let me just ask because in the episode that we just most recently released we talk about the way an officer's subjective claim of fear can make their action reasonable. Do you in this video think that this is one of those instances where someone's subjective uh, fear, right? Whether or not that fear was uh, objectively justifiable, because fear is not really the sort of thing you can sort of say, is it objectively justifiable? You're either afraid or you're not in a situation. There's not, the, it, the objectivity doesn't. Sure, that's why it should be based on actual threat. I, I, it, 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 <laughs> but is that essentially what you're seeing here, the perception of threat versus actual threat? See, what we're talking about here is like, let's be honest, what we're looking at. A white female named Betty who is in gross shape to be out onto the streets as a police officer clearly has no physical capabilities to be doing the job. So is it plausible? I mean, that, that's a, that's a big claim from just watching 60 minutes. I, uh, but you feel it's like, enough. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Having not been a cop. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Miss Betty here is going to beat anybody <laughs> in a fight. So with that, she busts cats, son. <laughs> maybe that's, that, that's apparently what happens. So, do I believe it's plausible that she is afraid of of Mr. Crutcher, who is uh, obviously big, he's tall, and most scary of all, he's a black man named Terrence. So, like, yeah, she can be fearful, and she can have that fear rooting in her. Mm-hmm. This is why it's so bad that we codified this. Can she get off by the legal standard? Yeah. Almost certainly, yeah. She's saying the video doesn't tell the whole story. Just the important parts. I mean, I need to understand that when somebody uses deadly force, there is no bigger picture. It is only what happens at that moment and if that person is a threat. Notice she says, or at least the uh, the journalist narrating it says, the first thing, well, the only thing they mention she notices is is the size of the gentleman. And she's saying his hands are... D- oh, my God. Okay, so she just said here... All right, so 
Officer Shelby obviously has no professional aptitude either, which she just revealed, and neither do any of her supervisors, and neither does any drug case that she's ever had a conviction on because she's clearly not a drug expert that ever does anything or mm-hmm. understands how to assess a threat. So she just said that he was his demeanor was strange because he was standing still with his hands by his side. So now let's go to the situation when we're also talking about like Freddie Gray. When the police come after you, is it normal for a black man to freeze on the corner? Yeah. Is it normal for a black man to run from the corner? Yeah. These are justifiable responses considering the totality of the circumstances. So does Mr. Crutcher standing there with his hands by his side when a cop's approaching him aggressively? Is that reasonable for him to stand there motionless with his hands on his side? Yeah. But but here's... And she says he might be on PCP. Here's That's what we did. Like the logical leap is, so I see a man standing with his heads down. So he could have been waiting for you right. to show so up. So what white person, what white male has been standing there that she has seen with his hands down by his side, who she jumped to the conclusion was on is, PCP. is on PCP. I, I just want to da- know, like, 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 where did you read if somebody is standing there with their hands? Because usually when I'm standing, my hands are somewhere by my side. I don't like hold them up in the air or to the side. Uh, I don't do jumping jacks when I'm just standing on the side of the road. How is, does that become a sign that somebody might be on PCP? All right, so let's just look at this real quick. Effects of PCP can result in hallucinations coupled with aggressive behavior. Standing there with his hands by his side gave me an indication that he was being dangerously hallucinogenic and aggressively behaved. Come on. This is preposterousness. And that's that's the stage we get. So a good bit of America will look at this. And they're going to say, well, yeah, he was behaving ba- clearly. That was a sign that he was on PCP, so that must have alerted her. And then let me ask you this, because obviously I'm not and have never been a police officer. If I show up and I see somebody and I think they're high on something, right? I mean, at this point, I've been on Earth long enough to know when somebody's fucked up on something. And I've been you know, doing journalism in Baltimore. I'm in plenty of spaces where people are fucked up on something around me. I have never... I can't think of a single instance where I've been around someone where my reaction, if I had one, was something more than like, yo, you all right, dude? Because you're kind of like about to fall over, right? I've never felt like scared. This guy's going to mess me up. I'm like, this guy's high off his ass. If he tried something, it wouldn't go well for him. Sure. And I'm not like, you know. Well, for something that makes you high, that makes you stand there with your hands by your side. Yeah, that, that would make total sense that they're not an enemy. Again, how many cops show up to two potheads fighting in the middle of the street? No, but like, if it, I mean, even like, you know, you see people in Baltimore's neighborhoods who have clearly taken something much stronger than pot. Right. And their behavior is not angry, aggressive, violent. Right, which is something I love because it, it's one of these statistical things that people can't get wrapped around their head. So, like, say police... Um, you know, assault 100 people, unnecessary use of force. And 10% of them will have drugs in their system. Well, then they say that it has something to do with those drugs. But then if you test any 100 people and those same, then there's 10 people with drugs, it's not a correlate. Just like they do with, they do it with uh, cannabis all the time. Mm. They'll be like, this individual was driving under the influence of cannabis, but doesn't have a traffic offense. And you don't know the general population yeah. of people that don't have, aren't high, so you don't know if that contributes to anything. Because what if the percentage of the general population is 35% on cannabis and the percentage of drivers who are getting crashes are in 15% cannabis? Well, that would be more likely that doing cannabis reduces your chances mm-hmm. of having an accident, but they're looking at the 15% and making a claim. I mean, my bigger issue is that they seem to be looking at uh, 
a possibility that can happen under certain types of drug use. You might become more violent, right? Most people who use PCP don't get more violent. I honestly, I just don't know the answer to that. I mean, but that's the case just with being everything. Around Even people addiction. who I know use these drugs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just say it. It's like idea. the first thing they do is not like ah, like it's not to say those stories don't happen, right? I used to work at a hospital as an interpreter, and you'd hear the stories all the time from like the night shift. Somebody came in on PCP, we had to like strap them in because they were. It's not to say it doesn't happen, but it's a good example of when you take something that could happen and you make it the rule for how you will act in the situation. And it's kind of like that fear thing. Get yourself home at the end of the shift. This could happen if, if you suspect someone is on PCP. So just put them down. Even the more than likely, if they are on PCP, they're just going to be really high and, and, you know. Yeah. Like, so you just kind of, God, you always get me on these, these sidetracks. But when people go in and they're strapping them down and they're on PCP, it's another example. Well, we don't know that what if 5% of, of the population at that point in time is having a mental episode like that. Mm. What's that, um, that one that really, where you just kind of lose it? I forget what that's called. Uh, excited delirium, okay. which hasn't been nailed down. But I've seen people in that condition and there's something going on there. So if you're naturally in that condition and, and it's just it could be again, it's a correlation to the PCP and doesn't sure, necessarily exactly. yeah, mean yeah. that that is why you were strapping the person down. They could be going through a mental breakdown that is un- disconnected. Yeah. And, and look, in a hospital setting, you're, you're basically strapping the person down to make sure like they stay in the room where they're supposed to be and that you can administer the treatment you're supposed sure. to be. But it's a good example of, OK, so like three or four nurses and a doctor just get the guy strapped in and then administer some meds. That's how they handled it, right? Nobody pulled out a gun and said, this guy's on PCP. I fear for my safety. And and mm. on the basis of that fear, if he moves, I'm putting him down. I have nurses talk about this very often where the nurses like to point out to everybody that like, look, these people that cops are killing, especially when we talk about the mental illness uh, propensity to be involved in police shootings. They're Definitely. like, these individuals are brought into our hospitals every single day. Every day. And we kill, We don't kill them. <laughs> we don't assault them. And, and we don't have weapons. So how come police can't figure out a way to do the exact same thing? Mm. Um, which is, I, I think, a solid point. All right, we're going to continue because I'm just going to slowly lose my mind listening to this. Zombie-like. She called him zombie-like. Zombie-like. So he's on PCP and zombie-like, but not a threat. Not a threat. The zombie stuff is like, we, we hear this all the time, that fear, which we discussed before, where they, they use these words like demon, super strength, super predator, mm. all these kind of things, and she's doing it already. <laughs> Tulsa, Oklahoma. All right, oh, so wait. she's saying she here she works in a high crime area, and when she gets to the the vehicle for a call for a vehicle pulled over, that she notices he the the, the host says, and the vehicle the engine and she notices the engine was still running. The engine was still running, and now she's saying she doesn't have. She works in a high crime area, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma. High crime area. The highest crime. So we move on from that point because that's another objective uh, yeah, that's... thing there. So, and then she says that, uh, what was the next thing she said? I don't remember. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around, okay, let's pretend for a moment that Tulsa, Oklahoma qualifies uh, for our imagination as a high crime area. Uh 
you're not like in the middle of the city. You're on like the side of what appears to be like a highway. Yeah, it's just a regular old looking road. Yeah, so uh, it's not like you're in the middle of the hood and you know you're like, oh man, uh, there's a car pulled over, which is a quite frequent occurrence on on Point roadways. And the car and the engine is still on, which, you know, when people pull over, they don't always turn their car off. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to get from how does this situation speak danger? Even if the guy's like, hi, I'd rather he get he pull over when he's high than <laughs> be driving the car when he's like, I'm still sure, not in I, a I realm where I'm, I'm like, wondering yeah, this where, is a dangerous situation. Yeah, I'm wondering where she can possibly go with this. She's saying she isn't thinking that this is just a, a, a car on the side of the road. Well, what could it possibly what is your other but what is the other conclusion? evidence what's the other evidence that's what that I'm saying. There's where are you even getting to on? something else so you've got a car you're in tulsa oklahoma the high crime you know uh, roadways of, of of tulsa oklahoma i mean what are the facts that suggest to you this is dangerous at any point point? and let me ask you as an officer because i already know this is probably what she's going to say if somebody is not obeying your commands you're, you're giving them commands to your mind, does that say this person is dangerous? No, I just, I mean, you want to know what's going on there. You kind of, like, I, I've been in that situation and I kind of look at the other cops or I look at citizens around, like, am, is it me is, or is this, like, yeah. I'm saying words, right? Like, I don't understand what's happening here. Can anyone else tell me what's happening here? And you just kind of continue to evaluate the situation. But, I, I mean, the cops that get defensive... That's because I think they know that they've been in these situations and they would just walk with the person and not do anything, but they have that fear the whole time. So they feel like if it went bad, then you still have to hold on that potential of that situation being so fearful. But none of those situations are actually that. I mean, look, I've been assaulted. I had a female who, oh, female, why do I say that word? A woman, lady, who was overdosing on on heroin and mm. i i got the cops the medics there and gave her narcane and when she came out she realized what i had done and and got mad and started like fighting me and messed up my uniform ripped off my badge destroyed my radio but not once did i do anything it's not a threat yeah. let me just ask you since you worked for the baltimore police department did you get a new radio or are they just like you're gonna have to use that one? oh no 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 i mean believe it or not they're they're relatively good about about that sort of about thing. that sort of I thing i mean when you hear like the testimony from the cops at least at the, that first trial it was like yeah they give us phones they kind of work the computers don't really work yeah the computers and the phones definitely don't work <laughs> i mean when i left granted it was 2014 but we were using Blackberries. Yeah, and I mean, and it was so. Yo, slow. I remember that because, like, one of my early uh, interactions with um, Kowalczyk, who who was the press person at the Baltimore Police Department, at one point he sent me a message, something about his Blackberry, and this is, you know, I, I started writing in 2014, and my first thought was like, wait a minute, you're using a fucking Blackberry? Are you out the, of your mind? Not like, even the touch, the one with the... <laughs> yeah, uh, no, with the keyboard, <laughs> with the physical keyboard. Like, I knew, I was like, yo, they made this contract like 10, 15 years ago, and nobody has mentioned to them like, hey, this is actually like a terrible useless technology And it technology was on 3G now. network. Oh. So we were waiting for a photo to download. But anyway, that's another sidetrack. You and you're sidetracking me. How can she say she notices the windows are down? I guess we didn't she just that says video. that she notices the windows were down. And I, I'm telling you, everybody look at the video. The windows are clearly up and in the most 
uh, harsh way to explain it so you can see it yourself is when she shoots him, the blood splashes on the window. The one she did just say she was on the. Did she say she was on the driver's side? She or said driver's, driver's side. side. No, you're right. Yeah, the windows are clearly not down. The next thing she says is she looks into the vehicle and she doesn't see any weapons because she wasn't, wasn't looking, looking for, for any. any. Why would she assume that there was someone in there that was hurt? She's saying that she keeps saying to him, hey, man, take your hands out of your pockets. Hey, man, how are you doing? Does anyone believe that those are the words she was saying? I mean, either she was, I'm sure she was being excited and being like, sir, sir, hands out of your pants or yelling something else. There was no way. She was like, hey, man, take I mean, your hands out of your pockets, bro. Should her dash cam footage tell us whether or not she was going, hey, man. Oh, good point. Let's see if that happens what i might do so she tells him to take his hands out of his pockets and he puts his hands in the air i thought he was (laughs) non-compliant okay bullshit she just said she's encountered people where they put their hands in their pockets and she then pulled them out and they found a loaded gun we can find that out we can find somebody look that up and see how many guns that this officer has arrested and charged somebody for i guarantee you that is a lie that might have happened once to her on a domestic call that had no violence involved whatsoever this officer did not chase down armed suspects Sorry if anyone takes offense to that, but this is not the kind of cop that we're going to see chasing an armed suspect into a dark alley. It isn't. Conveniently not recorded on video, which they don't say allegedly, because whoever knows on a video can come out again. So they just said people on PCB can turn violent, which is true. People not on PCB can turn violent. People on marijuana can turn violent. People on anything can turn violent. People on nothing can turn violent. She has no signs to have her gun out. Do never point your weapon at anything you do not intend to shoot. We're at seven minutes and 20 seconds. She's saying there's no way she saw him as being more dangerous for being a big black man. Being a big man is a reason that you should definitely be more afraid, just for the record. And look, I mean, at some point we have to believe that implicit implicit bias doesn't exist or at least hasn't like worked any of its magic on her. I'm telling you, it still has its influences on me as much as I fight it. But that's the thing, yeah. He has committed no crime. She's yelling at him to stop now and has got a gun pointed at him. And his hands are still in the air. So she's projecting her so she fear, projects her fear. She onto says, him. He and must be thinking, it. how can he get to his vehicle? So now we hear Tyler Turnbow's Another input. officer on the scene. I want to point out that he grabs his taser, which is the appropriate response mm. for him. Very good response by him at that point. And there's that implicit bias again coming up when they talk about, we talk yeah. about this at the time, but they keep saying that looks like a bad dude. And this whole time we have a guy that's been completely compliant on every single thing except for her allegation that he yelled stop. Mm. And this allegation is timed with the other police cars arriving onto their scenes with their sirens blaring. When is the person with their hands up non-compliant? Why? So Turnbow just said he would take his, he would have had his gun out if the other officer had a taser. Do you agree with that? He should be at the ready. I mean, he should be ready and prepared, but he has no idea. He hasn't assessed the situation. There it is. I'm feeling that his intent mm. is to do me harm. You've pro- so she just confessed. I projected my fear onto the situation. Then I gunned him down and I shouldn't be held responsible for that. 
He says that she's analyzed that this is called targeting. Nowhere in her report do I guarantee you that she says he has taken a position of targeting. I don't know what a position of targeting is. This sounds like something they're completely making up in retrospect. A man with his hands up looking into his car is not targeting. I have no idea what that means. I don't know what that means. But, you know, I mean, I really do think at this point we know what the narrative is, right? I mean, essentially she projected a bad situation going down and then killed a guy. And this is kind of what we talked about in this most recent episode that we released, which is when you make fear, the subjective fear of the officer, a rash, into a rationality standard, essentially, you essentially allow this to happen. If you project fear into a situation, then kill somebody, you have acted justifiably, which is to say that what our law gives license to police officers to do is to be afraid and do whatever they want as a result of that fear. And even if the fear is real, it does seem that at some point we have to say that can't be the standard by which we judge your actions, especially in a context where we know implicit bias exists, where we know you're going to have fears, and also just the nature of the job and strapping a gun onto your person every day. You're going to have fears that, ha- that are irrational. And so your fear cannot be the basis of a rationality it's standard. It's irrational to walk around with a gun on your hip, right? I mean, when but, you think but about it. But that's the thing. I mean, like, I mean we... we, we but this is also somewhere where like society has to, and again, this goes back to kind of your, your, your model. Uh, we ha- as a society have to decide, like, do we want police who walk around with a gun on their waist all the time, even though they're not really regularly in situations that require that, but they are regularly interacting with the public. And you can avoid this entirely if traffic calls are handled by an unarmed I mean, because that's the thing is, even when we think about that, when we say traffic stops, we think the person has to be armed. And it's just like, well, what if it's a bad guy? Well, if it's a bad guy, he knows the person's unarmed and he can just go. Yeah. All right. You know, like. And we call SWAT. You right. Know? And we, you call investigative units and you and you figure it out and you deal with it then. Nobody has to get hurt. I don't mm. understand this immediate gratification we have. And the only way to have immediacy with human beings is to kill them. How can he possibly not can he know where she is? So now he, she's saying he's sizing up the situation. But a moment ago, he must be on PCP. You know, people now he's clearly are arch- now he's sizing clearly, up yeah. situations. <laughs> he doesn't know where he is. Okay, so she's saying he dropped his arms and reached into the car, which we already know is not possible. These goddamn windows are open. Why are they not acknowledge? Why are they not pointing out yeah, that this is impossible? Those windows are clearly up. And then another thing I wanted to point out is the helicopter is there. Whenever the helicopter is there, there's no need for cops. Mm-hmm. The eyes are already there. We know what's going on. We can plan things. It's the moment you you pull back is when the helicopter is on scene. We did that constantly. If you're chasing a car and the helicopter gets up there, back off mm-hmm. because there's no point in this anymore. The helicopter yeah, yeah. sees them. You won. No, it doesn't. It does not tell them that there's somebody going for a weapon in that video. She's saying he she sees him going for a weapon and his hands are up. Could be going for his license. Could be going for... And she said she wasn't even looking for weapons in that vehicle, but now she thinks that she he's going for a weapon Clearly. in the vehicle. Oh, he does he does drop his arm there to open the yeah. door, I imagine. Did they find a gun in the vehicle? No, there's no weapons. So so we can say objectively then he was not reaching for a weapon. Yeah, we can objectively say that. Whether she thought that is irrelevant, we know that he wasn't reaching for a weapon because we know a weapon the window in the car. was open. 
Close. Close. <laughs> Sorry. And so for me, this is another sort of a fact versus truth problem. The fact is he wasn't reaching for a weapon. It's not a question of whether you thought he might have been reaching for a weapon. That's a perspectival issue, and that might be your truth. But the fact is, there was no weapon in the car, so he can't have been reaching for a weapon. That's the factual reality. And how many cops are there, though? Is that five cops? Four or five cops? Or why are we shooting people when there's four or five cops? Yeah. I do think, uh, is it Mr. Crawford, the journalist? He's pushing her. How about all four or five of us tackle this guy? We don't train to be what they show in the movies. I would like her to expand upon that, but we're not going to get that. There you go. Window's clearly up. You can see the streak of blood on the window. You can see the reflection of the background. Everything. Clearly up. No weapons anywhere. She just got asked if she has regrets, and she said she has sorrow that this happened, that this man has lost her life, and that is the clear right there. So if you want to hear anybody talk about verbal analysis, which I'm not really good, big into, mm. but as soon as you start separating yourself and you stop doing eyes and, what, and you start saying that person and you start dehumanizing them by using those type of pronouns, then that's an indication that your guilt is making you separate yourself mm. from that. to like I wasn't there in your mind. So I, she's speaking highly indicative of someone that knows what they did. He caused. She's saying he caused this. He is nobody with a man <laughs> with a car broken down. In the end, he calls this. So let me... How do we absorb this? Yeah. I, I, I mean, if, if to me, the problem with this narrative is that there's essentially no situation where a cop can be held responsible. If that logic holds, then anytime somebody dies in, you know, in a police interaction, it will inevitably have been their fault. Because... We could certainly look at the video and say, if she said stop, if he had stopped, maybe this doesn't happen, right? That doesn't justify a shooting, right? If I tell somebody to stop and they're like, fuck you, who are you? I mean, they're right, but I also don't get to shoot them. Uh, that, that's, and that's not threatening behavior. Like, uh, if that was the case, every child on earth probably has threatened their parents uh, by refusing to, right. to acknowledge a command or order in the, in the last probably 30 minutes. But at some point, if the standard is that if this person had just complied with every single possible demand I made, then they'd still be alive. Then a cop can just never be held responsible, right? Like, especially because as citizens, we're not trained. Unlike cops who are trained to do these stops, we are not trained to go through one of these stops, right? No, we don't take a class in high school or college or anywhere else and say, you know, when a cop pulls you over, this is what you do and you make sure you do this, X, Y, Z. So it's not like we know what they're expecting and us to do. And cops are trained that the people aren't trained on that. Right? So, so I mean, at some point, you know, we're just, we're being asked to swallow an awful lot. And, and you know, and for me, this is, doesn't even have to be about the question of criminal liability. Like putting that issue aside of like guilt or innocence. If the cop can't be responsible, then you can't even intervene from a policy standpoint to make sure something like this happens again, because eh, it's not our problem. The other person is responsible. It's nothing we did. Yeah, the police have to be the biggest group that won't take accountability At for all. absolutely anything. anything. I feel like a lot of these shootings can be critiqued that we don't hear about. We're actually trying to critique 
these situations like this shooting that are just blatantly wrong and there's just no way around them so we're talking about crutcher and castile who you know objectively do nothing wrong and still end up getting killed killed. and so we have to defend these cases like we're defending the obvious when we should be arguing these cases where there's iffiness exactly yeah yeah yeah. And, and that's also like in terms of that like police community divide right when you defend an officer who has obviously messed up right even if you think that the nature of the job means they shouldn't face criminal liability but clearly somebody messed up if you defend that situation they're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt in those iffy situations because you make every situation into an iffy situation right i even tell you i have a, a i think there's a rational argument that you don't lock these cops up because punishment and and incarceration is supposed to be about making sure they can never do that crime again. And if you did your crime because you were tasked with this responsibility and we take that responsibility from you... That's true. There yeah, is a, happening again. Yeah, there's a philosophical argument that you wouldn't do that. So I'm even like, I'll be like, there's a compromise, fine. Like, if you do something like this, do you like get community service or you have to make amends in some way that I don't know about, but you at least, for God's sake, can't be a cop anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the the question of criminal liability does weigh heavily on this whole issue, you know, and at some point, that's another qu- sort of question we have to tackle as a society is, if we believe police abuse happens, what is the result we're trying to get? Because if it's just a jail sentence, at some point that does, uh, t- t- at least to me, it, it smacks of just like, I want revenge, retribution. Yeah, and well, it's not to our say, entire criminal justice system is that. So no, when you prosecute absolutely. them, that's absolutely, absolutely what you're doing. But this is where we have to, like, as a society say, maybe that's not how we want to be reflected in our criminal justice system, right? And at some point, we have to ask, what but is the problem, again, and, real and quick, how do we get to a solution? we've already done that, though. This is the frustrating avenue. But have we really, as a we society, have, we haven't. We have. This, this, this was done disagree. in Europe. That's no, a, no, no. But we're talking about America. No, America has it. But that's what's... Sh- it's so striking. It's so frustrating. Is even now, I hear... You know, my friend Neil Franklin always goes back and he's like, Peelian principles from England. And I'm like, yeah, Peelian principles are decent. But we can go back further than that. In the 1700s, Cesar Baccarea, who I always go back to, he said... All of these things, Italy was well recognizing that you can't treat people like this, that our criminal justice system has to be focused on rehabilitation. Like, this is information we've known for hundreds of years. Yeah. No, look, I mean, the, the simple truth is in America, what operates to make certain types of reforms rather impossible is our uh, historical commitment to Christian metaphysics. And so that entire sort of like retributive nature of our criminal justice system, and even that retributive nature of our idea of justice, justice is you get payback for what you did, comes out of our religious inheritance. And so we can't think about an idea like justice without tying it to anger and violence, right? Because that's our Old Testament God. And so at some point as a, as a country, we need to decide like, is the point to punish people when bad things happen or is the point to like make sure these things happen as a uh, few times as they possibly can, right? We might not be able to eliminate these instances, but we have to decide what the goal is. Right, and it's supposed to totally be rehabilitation. I mean, we call it correctional facilities. That means to correct the situation, to bring it back 
to the place where we want things to be. And so what we're saying is we want things to be that people are punished and treated like animals in cages. But we call them... Yeah, but that's the thing. I mean... uh, there's the classical idea of the penitentiary, the place you go to show penitence. Mm-hmm. And so there's still sort of built into the idea that it's it's the person who broke the law who has to sort of come back to God or come back right, sure. to the social order. I totally agree with you. And it, it's, it's incredibly frustrating on how we get past that idea. Like, if you're the victim... But we have to family? at some point acknowledge that like we're, we're basing criminal justice... On vengeance. Uh, uh, but also on ideas that we don't even necessarily subscribe to anymore. These are hundreds, if not we thousands, don't subscribe of years to the older. vengeance. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Like we, don't. we don't subscribe to it, but it's still operating right in our discourse. And until we're like ready to look the problem in the eye and say, "Oh, like I'm not actually, I don't want retribution because like it's a natural thing. I'm conditioned to want it." And it's okay discourse. for you as the victim or the victim's family yeah. to want retribution. I agree. It's not it's okay, not okay, to, okay codify for, it. yeah, to codify <laughs> it. You don't like go like, who's the angriest person in this situation? Let's make sure we make their perspective the codified law. Right. That's the least perspective <laughs> that's, we That's should not have. helpful. Sure. All right. Let's finish this. And we're, we're, They have uh, Terrence uh, Crutcher's sister on who's saying all the obvious things. She just said, my brother's dead because she didn't pause. Which is what we talked about is that that's the thing is the hero is supposed to be the one that pauses. Stops and thinks. And we've made it that the hero is the one that pulls the trigger right away. Acts unthinkingly. And we still call our officer. See how that is? Whoa. So that's another good indicator we've talked about. She just said... If I waited to find out whether he had a gun or not, I would be dead. She's clearly placing her life above that of the citizen she is supposed to be serving. Yeah, and, and she's doing that as a guardian, which I find problematic, right? Like, I don't think you can say, you know, I'm here to protect everyone, but I'm going to be the most cowardly one in this situation. Whoever moves first gets a bullet, right? Like, I, I, that, I mean, that's just jarring for someone to say, like, I'm the guardian, but uh, I'm not here to sacrifice my life for you. I'm here to make sure I go home. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand how this can be what we think of as people we look up to. Like, this is the culture that we've arrived at in policing that you just cannot defend as any human being. You can't defend that a cop says she, for one, says he was a threat, Mm -hmm. but she shot him because if she waited to see if he actually was a threat, then she would take personal risk. So, I mean, this is like listening to Trump talk. It's it's, yeah. it's, it's all over the place with denials, despite the fact that it's fucking on camera. Yeah, and let's face it. The reason we have police is because we don't want general, you know, we don't want standard citizens, regular citizens taking that type of risk. You are in a profession we, where we have asked you to take risk and we acknowledge that. But that means you can't go into a situation afraid and say, like, my goal is to be the last person standing. No, your job is to take a risk we can't, is to go in. And if you've signed up for that, you weren't, like, conscripted into this job. You signed up for this job. And, you know, frankly, there's not a lot of jobs where you can get the perks that you can with a high school degree. I don't think there's any. Exactly. And so, you know, this idea that then, like, they should just be completely committed to self-preservation. I mean, we as a society have to say, like, that is not the mission we assigned to you. We've certainly accepted it, and that's why we're in our Orwellian future of, of <laughs> militarization that continues to escalate. Yeah. It's, it's like, But this is the statement that when I get pushback, I will be told that isn't policing. And it's she's saying it yeah. right in front of <laughs> you. 
Oh, oh and she, she said, said it. it. Yes. I would rather be carried by 12 than buried by six. And did we not just say that on that video, that episode you just released judged yesterday? By tell that, judged by 12 <laughs> than carried by six. So that's, that's exactly the point. Uh, and you said it. In policing, everybody dies before the police do. And that just can't be, that can't be our notion of a protection force, right? That would be like if uh, in World War II, uh, we're like, okay, we're going to go and attack uh, Germany. And then like the military got in a boat, started going across the Atlantic, turned around and then bombed the shit out of the US. Wait, wait, what? (laughs) And we'd be like, yo, what the fuck? Right. I mean, the easiest way to make sure we don't get killed by the Russians is obviously to kill us first. Everybody. (laughs) Man, I can't believe she actually said it. That's right. She, she never wanted, wanted to be, be in that she put spot. Herself in that she spot. didn't say she never wanted somebody else to be in that position. I mean, that's the thing. I, how about I would rather be judged by 12 than judged by one, right? I would rather yeah. be judged in a court of law than by some cop who's scared uh, on the street. You know, I was at a, a candlelight vigil recently in, in West Baltimore, right near the Western District Police Station, because this gentleman had been gunned down right outside of the Western District Police Station. And... You know, as as it was wrapping up, I was talking to a few people. There were still a couple of officers because they had sent out a couple, a number of officers to kind of hang around the vigil. And as I'm leaving, I just turned to one and I'm like, you know, I just shake his hand. Uh, and I could, I could see how he looked scared. I mean, he looked young. He looked like he was still in his like early to mid twenties and he just didn't look comfortable being there. And I'm like, this isn't, this is the problem. Like you're scared. And you're the least person who has anything to be, you know, uh, to be afraid of right now. Like, you're a police officer. You're fucking untouchable. Like, the, what do you think is going to happen? And you're, you're watching a goddamn candlelight vigil, right? Like, that's what you're patrolling right now is like a group of people honoring a slain friend. And, and you have fear in your eyes. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Like, I understand this kid might not be from a place like Baltimore City, but to just be standing there afraid and sort of masking that with faux toughness like i know when a young man is being fake tough all right because i've been that young man (laughs) no i mean i i I hear you and i i can't really wrap my head around what that is and the only reason can be is culture like you have to be taught those things Mm. these aren't these aren't things you're born with. You don't watch children being that way. These are things you're indoctrinated into in society. Is there any conversation in, in policing or is there any training that is done? And not like, you know, in the last six months, some have created an innovative, but historically, is there any discussion about the way the mind generates or projects fear? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of this, but it's in psychology. So, but I mean, in policing and the right, training, right, right. So they talk about it, but these things get published in psychology journals. So then it's like the criminal justice field because you only stick in your journals. Mm. It's like they're not pulling these things together to understand that policing is just another job. So all of these things, like these are things that have already been found out in a myriad of type of industries because there's other jobs that have fear. You know, when you think about window cleaning has an element of fear to it. There is taxi driving is an extremely dangerous job. So there's all these other jobs that have fear that they've already worked these kind of things through with. And I've never seen a case where a taxi driver shot someone 
just like you know completely unjustifiably it turns out because they were afraid even though like you said it is a it, like i've known cab drivers they have a million stories of getting robbed at knife point gunpoint whatever point you can imagine uh, or, or ups drivers who like say the cars are dangerous for them right yeah so they have all these procedures in place that i don't know if most people know but like ups drivers aren't supposed to ever cross the street mm. so they do their route so that they are always on that side of the street and they never cross the street you do these things to mitigate the things that can happen because the fear of getting hit by a car can make you do dumb things you know all these things yeah but the out. possibility of danger and uh an accompanying fear of that possible danger isn't a justification for murder or any not. illegal activity in any <laughs> other right. profession. And at some point, yeah, we just have to ask, like, is it enough for, uh, just because you can imagine this could go bad, like any situation could go bad. That can't be enough to justify your taking of a human life, especially when your only job is to guard Human life. Human life. To protect and serve the public is the way it's supposed to be. Not protect and serve you, you. or the oligarchy or your boss. It's to protect and serve the public. That's why it's on and, the car. You know, and you made this point a while back. And I always thought, like, imagine our we, we, we told our fire department, you know, just make sure you get home at the end of the night. Like, it's not... That's not gonna Sit go there well. and watch it burn. Be <laughs> like, oh, yo, I, I can't, I can't put myself in danger. Yeah, and then I can't, I can't help these other houses if I get hurt. I don't, <laughs> don't make sure you go home and don't take any risk. And more so, you'll be promoted based upon how many fires there are that you respond to. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. His actions dictated my actions. She says all the blame's on him. True. And now she's only crying when she realizes that she's the blame. There's tears shed after she says I for the first time. And she says, I never wanted to kill anybody. Well, don't kill anybody. Why do this? See, again, he says these things. He says, but many in the Tulsa black community. Why are we limiting for the Tulsa black community to be the one that has a problem with this? Anybody with a goddamn set of eyes or ears should have a problem with this. And yeah. he still allows it to be marginalized. And this is, this is a problem of where, right, most persons in media are just trained to do media. So you're not, you're, right, you're not actually uh, subject matter experts in anything. Uh, and you're certainly not subject matter experts in the way sort of language works, in the way like the way we structure well, our you language. Should be. <laughs> but exactly, no, you should be. But that's not the training they receive. And so, like, he's essentially just thinking of this issue in the way that we've tended to think about it in the last few years, which is black community versus police. When there's an entire national community who is really upset, and what it's not the just hell black people. Is a black community? I'm still know, trying to understand know, what but, the but hell. The, my that point is, is you, you can't demand that persons who have never thought about the way, say, arbitrary constructs get reified in language, right? A uh, bunch of words. You can't demand persons who have no training to think in these terms to then go into a story like this and not essentially just repeat the narrative they've themselves come into. And that's the thing about most journalists. They don't know anything about the things they are reporting beyond what they've just been told. So if I go to Mike and say, what just happened here? And you say, man, you know, black community is mad at cops because I just repeat that. That's what I'm going to go and repeat. And this is why the media narrative is always sort of the same. It doesn't change. Uh, and it's not because like the media is necessarily conspiratorial or on one side or the other, they don't know any better. They're not even aware of the fact that they're simply, 
a lot of people in media think they're experts when they're actually just parrots. And that's a dangerous thing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I see it a lot. And it, I, I, I hear you. And I'm just, I guess I'm boiling over with my frustration on the subject. Because, like, I, I'm going to take, like, last night I watched um, uh, Trevor Noah's show. Okay, right? Daily Show. And, and, and he interviewed Chris Hayes. Okay. And there's nothing more irritating than me than the many a myriad of times I watch media, interview media about a subject that neither one of them knows, knows anything well, yeah. about. And it's it's like I don't understand because there are experts that Trevor Noah can bring onto the show, but because we want to just all they do is cross promote. So everybody that has a book out, well, they all work together, and then that's what they talk about is whichever celebrity has a book out. So celebrities interview celebrities about a book that they have out, and nobody's talking about anything on any kind of intellectual level while they're bitching about how unintellectual everyone is. But but here's the other side of that, which is. If you put a bunch of experts on and they say a bunch of expert things, nobody wants to watch that segment. It's boring. It's not interesting. That guy's not even a fucking celebrity. At least Chris Hayes is famous, right? Fuck this guy who spent his entire adult life studying this subject. I want to see somebody who's famous tell me what they remember from the conversation with this guy. Uh, and so, so that's part of the problem is like we as an audience like people say like they need to do more policy journalism it's like i do a shit ton of policy journalism nobody reads it you know who reads policy journalism other journalists because they want to understand the policy they're covering that's you can't you know and again this is a corporation it's a business they can't produce smart content if you won't watch it it's just it's not gonna happen damn you and so, get look, your argument it's, yeah, just, it's I, like I, there's got to be something we could do I think it was Mark Twain that said it I was about trying to look it up because remember I think it was Mark <laughs> Twain that said those who read uh, who don't read are uninformed and those who do read are, are misinformed yeah that's right <laughs> so. yeah I mean you know so I, there is a responsibility I think we have as consumers of information right like we can't demand that people do things we won't support we can't demand that uh, people uh take the perspectives of oppressed communities and centralize them in their narratives if we'll only watch shows where that doesn't happen yeah right like it doesn't like and this is what drives me crazy about like uh like the activist community in baltimore is it's not to say none of them supported my work but they spend a lot more time talking about uh, media institutions that don't adhere to their values than they do about ones that do and it's like that's why those media institutions die or don't go anywhere no, that's a, uh, that's a that's a good point uh, to put up those platforms on, on for what they are, and we have to. I think we're moving towards that. Luckily, people are starting to realize where we are. But you know, if 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 we lose our ability to control uh, our country because it's gone too far, then how can we even climb out of it? Is what's so damn frustrating. Yeah. And I don't want to bring a problem without a solution. So <laughs> I'll just finish watching the last nonsense they say. Oh, well, that was the last of their nonsense. That was or is it. More? I don't know. We're leaving it on for a second to see, I guess. That damn... Th- I mean... In wrapping up, are we surprised by anything in there? I mean... And, and that's... I find that that's incredibly difficult as well, is that there's this idea of, did you watch it? Because before I see this, I'm going to say... Oh well, she's. I know. I know everything that's going to be said in this. I know every drop of bullshit. I've heard your arguments. Yeah. I don't need to listen to another thing that you have to say, and and like I want to be objective and take in all the sources of information. But this is clearly what we predicted, right? No, I mean, you knew exactly what. Uh, the, I mean, damn, like you predicted what she was going to say, 
in an episode that we recorded months ago. I mean, before this year. I mean, these are like that episodes from like the early sessions. Like those episodes were all recorded before we released a single episode. Oh wow! I mean, that's how far <laughs> back those go. And like you, you essentially quoted her in the previous episode talking about this issue. It's just without it's you know so predictable that I mean I, I feel like that's what science is supposed to do, right? So any good science is which that which can predict the future most accurately, and it's. We can predict this future. We know exactly what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen with our police departments going on this way. We know what people that say blue lives matter really are saying. We know what the system's doing. We know what it can do to Khalif Browder. We know what it can do to Terrence Crutcher. We know all of these things, and yet we'll do nothing. And I, I can't figure out how to move forward with that. I mean, and that's, again, I mean, that's where I think it's, it's we as a society have to decide what we want because here's the thing like the facts of this case are what they are but the simple truth is when the cops show up somewhere somebody called them right and so when that situation then goes bad uh it's not just the cops who were involved uh in in terms of creating that situation and the potential for it to go bad and you know we send a lot of mixed messages and, and we've talked about this in past episodes the idea of police as pawns you know uh, the politics say one thing, the community says another. Uh, but the truth is the community often speaks out of, of both sides of its mouth, right? We as a society want our cops to be like both ass kickers and both like professional social workers. And it's like, eh, that's usually two distinct groups. Like that's usually not a combined mission. Yeah, so I say if we want cops to be that, we're talking about eight years of training to get them <laughs> but to exactly, that level. And so, and, and so, but we're not talking about that, right? So, you know, society makes all of these demands that, aren't really uh, in sync or in, in, in harmony in any meaningful way. Uh, and then when cops fail to live up to them, uh, you know, we want to be angry at them for their abuse of power. And it's one or the other, right? Like you can't tell the cops like these kids on the corner need to be gone from the corner and you can't be abusive. Removing kids from a corner looks one way and one way only. And it's not like pleasant and nice. You know, at some point we can't say your mission is this and this when those things aren't compatible. Yeah, I mean, that's that's our whole problem with the system is that the metrics being put in aren't the aligned with the outcomes that you want to come out. So it's it's never going to be... But the problem is they are aligned with those outcomes. They just, uh, five minutes from now, when I say I want a different outcome, they won't be aligned with that outcome. <laughs> right, but then when my car gets broken into again, I'm going to go back to the first outcome. Right, because we have to go to society's outcomes, not the individual. Yeah, the individual wants revenge. I get it, but yeah. we can't be that. And I just feel like as police, that's on, that's our responsibility to, to convey because we're supposed to be professionals that study the, our field. Mm. And if if the p general public thinks that a certain product doesn't have gluten in it, but the chef who's well-trained in his field says, no, this has gluten in it, don't eat it. Yeah. Well, then you want to go ahead and go with, you don't want the chef to be like, no, I'm going to give the customer exactly yeah. what they want. You know, there are times yeah. that authority does have to, to step in and, and be that voice to communicate the science. You know, I, I also think there's a responsibility for people in the policy making arena and especially politics like we have to get to a point where a politician can say like it doesn't matter that your fucking car got broken into like i'm sorry you lost your cd player you'll live like our policy can't reflect the fact that you're pissed off that some kids broke into your car our policy needs to reflect the objective reality which is that kid is hungry and has been stealing that stuff to like sell to feed himself 
And so until we address that issue, your car is going to keep broken into. Yeah, we could create a punitive policy to get that kid, teach him a lesson. But you can't teach someone not to be hungry. You just can't. Exactly. And you need to be the bully pulpit for that if you're supposed to be someone that understands these and issues. If, so these exactly. chiefs if, should know this. But but it's not just the chiefs, right? Because the chiefs are put in those positions by politicians. At some point, the politician has to be able to say, you know, sorry, Mr. So-and-so at the community meeting. I'm not going to get yeah, tough on that crime because your car's following orders. Like that, I feel like that's the, the Nazi philosophy where it's okay as long as it's legal. And if our bosses tell us this, then the responsibility is not on us. But it is on us. No, I, and yeah. I understand your perspective as a police officer. You're taking account, you know, you're taking responsibility for what you do as an officer. I'm coming from the perspective of a citizen and saying we also have to take responsibility for our role in this. And also, you know, our civilian leadership has to be, we have to be able to hear that, like, we're not that important. I, as an individual, that victimization mm-hmm. that I feel I suffered, you know what? Shit happens. We can't build an entire policy around the fact that you had a shitty day once. Even if we think what happened to you was monstrous. That can't be the totally. standard yeah. for a policy that impacts our entire society. And if that suspect was your son, what do you want to happen to that suspect? That's how we have to look at it. There's no other choice. But I was wrong. There is more left. All right.